The scripture reading today, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Uh, And Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, uh, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Uh, Lost my place. And uh, you are... You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you, just as the branch, um, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, uh, but must remain in the vine. So neither can you, unless you remain in me. I am the vine; you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. And they, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and you, and you will be done for, and it will be done for you. Uh, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Um, okay, so that was John 15, verses 1 through 5. Uh, I'm going to stay up here for a minute and introduce our guest speaker. Um, Today I'm pleased to introduce uh, to you Sean Thatcher. Uh, Sean is the pastor of Pine Baptist Church in Halfway, Oregon, where he and his wife, Jody, have served for 28 years. Grace Point and Pine Baptist both support the Mayhews, uh, Mayhews as missionaries. Pine Baptist has supported uh, the formation of three churches in Macau alongside Grace Point. part of, Pine Baptist is part of the five church partnership uh, that we are part of, and the three churches in Macau. Um, and Pine Baptist has also sent uh, kind of members and representatives to the 30th year anniversary celebration in Macau for the three churches there. And there's been families in both of our churches, Pine Baptist and our church, uh, that have hosted Macau, uh, Chinese Macau um, believers. So it's really fun partnership there. Um, Sean and Jody, oh, and then, uh, yeah, Sean and Jody have been married for 34 years, raised four daughters, uh, who have given them eight grandkids. Uh, Sean and Jody love spending time with their kids, grandkids, uh, and are thankful to be able to serve God in Pine Valley. Please welcome with me, Sean Thatcher. Uh, we're honored and just humbled to be here um, to be able to share with you uh, from the Word of God and to just uh, hopefully encourage and be a blessing to you. So first let me just tell you that uh, we've been praying for you. We've been praying for Pastor Gary and for Don. And even this morning, uh, as we're meeting at 10 o'clock there at Halfway, uh, our our guys are now leading the church in prayer for this service for... uh, they know me, so they know they need to pray for me. Lots of prayer there, but also to pray for you guys. And uh, we just pray that the Lord will encourage and bless and strengthen you and uh, lead and guide you and just work his will out through you all uh, during this time. And we just pray for Pastor Gary as well. I know um, our after-school program that we have down there runs K through 12. And uh, a while back, the... Uh, our youth director w- took the, a bunch of the kids and they made a, a bunch of art and car- uh, I'm not sure cards 
well wishes, and they boxed it all up, and they sent it to Pastor Gary. And uh, so he was trust that would be an encouragement for them, and it was a blessing to him. So um, why don't you just join me in a word of prayer, and then let's just spend some time here in Joshua chapter 8 this morning and tie it up with John 15 here that we just read. Father, just uh, be with us in this time that we get to open this tremendously precious book. Lord, the living word of God that is ours, and it's in a language that we can understand. And Lord God, we seek to apply it to our lives, and we're thankful for its power uh, and its work in us. And Lord God, I just pray this morning that you would, you would speak through this word, Lord God, and you would just cement something in each of our hearts that we can apply to our lives that would be an encouragement to us. Show us something about ourselves that, Lord God, you would, you would have us to know. Show us something about you that you would have us to know that we might be encouraged. I pray you'll do that. You'll do that powerfully in the, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning in, in, in looking at Joshua chapter 8, I'm going to want to assume some knowledge of Joshua on your part as I speak. And I want to just um, talk really big picture. I'm going to stay kind of way up here. Uh, because Joshua is a, is a great story. It's a great historical narrative that tells us about a people of faith who stepped into a hostile land. I mean, they, they crossed the Jordan River and God opened that river up and away they went into the, in, into the promised land. They went in by faith, believing God would fulfill his promise. And so now they're on the other side of the Jordan and, you know, you've been through these chapters and the, the first thing that they do is they, they basically disable their fighting force. And they, men are circumcised and, and they're standing there in the face of their enemies, but they're trusting God. They're acknowledging their dependence on God by their actions. And then comes Jericho. Jericho is an obstacle that they could not overcome by themselves. And again, we see a people of faith depending on God to deliver or to fulfill His promise to them. They follow God's instruction and His leading. They, they follow His prescription and they take the city of Jericho. What a victory. Imagine, imagine that that level of faith and confidence that would spring from seeing all of that transpire. Yes, God is faithful. God, God does what He says. We believe in God. We're dependent upon God. And then they go to the next city of Ai and they lose. They lose. Men die. Now I'm a people of faith in a hostile land. And I have no confidence. What is God doing? Now am I dependent on God? And if I'm dependent on God, did God just let me down? Is, is He going to fulfill His promise? Or are we going to be overrun? by our enemies. So we come to Joshua chapter 8. In Joshua chapter 8, I just entitled it Reclaiming Lost Ground, but you could, you could t 
talk about this in terms of the thoroughness of God's restoration. Joshua chapter 8 is this chapter, I see it as a chapter of hope showing us how thoroughly God restores His people following sin. So we're going to talk very big picture. The fullness of God's restoration. Or we we could maybe entitle this the, the results of God's restoration. If you want to do that. So... Um, so we're going we're gonna to read some verses, and I'm going to work through this again, just fairly big picture. You have a hand out there, and I think I've even already got ahead of myself because first one is I got a picture up here of, of our church family. So this is when the Chinese were here visiting. I don't know why I'm turning around. This is great. Uh, this is really cool. Uh, so that's basically uh, Pine Baptist, and it was a few years ago when uh, some of you are even here in this picture. And, uh, and we're looking at the Chinese when they were visiting us at the end of the service that day and our little church family was the most recent church family fo- photo that I could share with you. And then also as Tobin introduced us, one of the things that I do love to share is just the joy we have in our family. Uh, God blessed me not only with this beautiful wife for 34 years, but four beautiful daughters. I'm one of three boys. My mom was outnumbered in our home growing up. It was all rough and tumble and all boys, and then God gives me four girls. And uh, at first I thought, what are you doing, God? Now I couldn't be more pleased that he did. We had a lot of fun, a lot of excitement. So these are our, two of our four and their families. They all live there in Halfway, which is a tremendous blessing to all of us in that regard. And um, the bottom, my bottom right corner, the bottom picture is my youngest daughter and her husband, He's our youth director, runs our after-school program. He's been there two years now. God's just blessed him tremendously. In the upper corner is our second to the oldest daughter, Jessica, her family, uh, and lived there in the valley. And then the next photo, the other two, if you would, please. Oh, I'm sorry. There's six of our eight grandkids. There's six of them. The oldest is seven. The youngest is going to turn one in uh, a little while. And... Don't tell anybody, but the ninth one's on his way. But we're not, I didn't say anything. I'm not supposed to tell. The ninth one's on his way. Then the next photo, if you would. Our other two children, my oldest is on my right here uh, with the three children. That's my oldest daughter. She leads women's ministry uh, here at Pine Baptist. Uh, Have three children and then our our third child, Bree, there uh, with the two kids on their lap. They're ranchers, he, cattle, uh, lots, of, lots of good. You know, the first time one of these boys showed up at our house and I said, you know, I think we need to go get a load of wood. And uh, so we went out and got a load of wood and I got wood all my life for heating our house with our, with our girls. And, you know, they'd go out and get wood with us and they'd split it and they'd, they'd throw it in the truck. And then all of a sudden I saw this guy, this young guy, pick up chains running down the hillside with him, hooking up logs and running back up the hill. And I looked at Jodell and I said, this is what it's like to have boys. This is impressive. Oh, but we love raising our girls. Lots of fun. Lots of great memories. We're grateful the Lord has been good. They love the Lord Jesus. They're serving the Lord. They're raising their families to know so their kids can be discipled and know Jesus. And, you know, I know when we were at home and our kids were littler, they came to me one Christmas, said, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, I don't really know. I don't, 
don't know. Why don't you just get me something everybody can use? Get me something everybody can get something out of. So they did. They got me a new wallet. <laughs> no. If you've raised daughters, you understand that statement. No. Uh, you know, when we often look into the Old Testament, uh, we, find, we find God relating to the nation of Israel in a lot of the same ways he relates to us as individual believers. What he does corporately with them, excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, what he does corporately with them, uh, he does very individually with us. And that's really the case of the Old Testament book of Joshua. Joshua is a, a book about people. We describe them living by faith, believing in God's promise, and yet they're laboring to possess their possession as God commanded. And so we see in the Old Testament principle of God's people, they're living dependently on God, as we talked about in that introduction. And we see that dependency running parallel with these New Testament words of Jesus that we read in John 15. Jesus told his disciples, you are dependent on me. Uh, he, he said, you're so dependent on me, he could tell them in those verses, apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. I appreciated what David just shared in his testimony, learning that not only Jesus is constant, but that Jesus is everything. And that all that I do, and what he said there, all that I can do in my teaching really doesn't come from me, it comes from Jesus. It's that sense of dependency. And Joshua illustrates that and how God works. So you think, well, what does our dependence on God have to do with Joshua chapter 8? Well, here this people of faith in a hostile land. They're there believing that God will fulfill his promise. They take the city of Jericho. They, they find this, this great victory. And on this confidence, they go to the next city and they're defeated. And so suddenly now there's this break in that dependence that came in chapter 7. And then we see the results of restoration in Joshua chapter 8. So Joshua chapter 8 shows us the depth of God's de de uh, restoration. It's, it's about coming back into a dependent relationship with God and reclaiming lost ground in the battle against sin. So let me make a couple of opening statements, if you would, uh, in the next slide. A couple of things. We needed to lay the groundwork. Sin was the enemy that defeated Israel. They were, not, they were not defeated by a superior army or by a more wise enemy. They weren't. They were, they were defeated by sin before they ever got to the gates of the city of Ai. And God, God does not change. He could not lead them further until that sin was removed. They had sinned and and. We look at that, we, you, you've gone through that chapter here. One man in Israel, he, he rebelled against God, and as long as that sin lay buried in Achan's tent, God says, I can't go with you. I stop and just look at that and think, wow. Do I believe that the sin that I bury could have that kind of negative impact on a church body? That one man could sin and God would take the nation and say, stop, I can't allow you to continue to have victory until we deal with that. Sometimes I do think that we minimize and devalue 
sin or we devalue the sacrifice of Christ to the point where we feel like, well, that sin, if I just remain buried there, it's not hurting anyone. Joshua would disagree. Joshua would disagree. So Israel could go no farther until that sin was removed. And Israel had sinned against God. He would not lead them in victory. Now they're defeated. They did deal with the sin. And we're going to pick it up in chapter uh, 8, verses 1 and 2. And I'm sort of going to take this, again, this high overview. We're going to deal with a little bit of the first of the chapter and then the last of the chapter. And we'll just hopefully take you along for the ride and it will be applicable. Joshua 8, verses 1 and 2. Here is God. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. Stop right there. They traveled up to Ai. They lost. They came back. They stopped. They addressed the sin. They paid the consequences of that sin. Now God's saying, you are restored. What does that restoration look like? God leads Israel back to the city of Ai. He sets down a plan for Joshua and Israel to follow so that they may conquer this little city. Let's go a little further. Verses 3 through 8 says, So Joshua rose with all the people of war to go up to Ai. Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. And he commanded them, saying, See, you are going to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. I and all the people who are with me will approach the city and it will come about when they come out to meet us as at the first that we will flee from before them. They will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city for they will say they are fleeing from us as at the first. So we will flee before them and you shall rise from your ambush, take possession of the city for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Then it will be when you have seized the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do it according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So from this chapter, let me just point you to four things that I would apply to us as believers today. Four things. They're battling their enemy in the promised land. We're in a battle against sin. Now, we don't all battle the same sin, but we are all in the same war. And so I, I make that application say, what God is teaching Israel through all these battles and the fulfillment of His promises, He can teach us as individuals in our battle, in our war against sin. Point number one. Past defeats do not prevent future victories. Get a hold of this. Past defeats do not prevent future victories. When we're in this battle against sin, and like I said, not all of us battling the same sin, but we're all in this same war. And there are times, guess what? There are times in the life of the believer when we, like Israel, are defeated by sin. And in that in that defeat, God offers us restoration. 
In fact, in John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, God sandwiches two pieces of counsel about what not to do with sin between one piece of meat about what to do with sin. Listen to these words. 1 John 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. He's saying, first slice of bread in my sandwich, don't deny sin. When you deny sin, you're deceiving yourself. There are times in our lives when we fall into that deception. Oh, that sin's not that bad. Oh, that's okay. Nobody sees that. It's, it's not affecting anybody. You know, that's all right. God's going to forgive me. I don't need to deal with that. We're deceiving ourselves. Don't, don't deny that we have sin. Then he says, middle of the sandwich, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is willing to restore God is willing to restore us. And the nation of Israel walked through that restorative process as a nation. We walk through that restorative process in our relationship individually to the Lord Jesus Christ. What are we to do with our sin? We're to confess them. We're to be honest with God. And God promises to be faithful and to be righteous and to forgive us and to cleanse us and to restore us. And then he gives the last slice of bread in that sandwich. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we deny that we sin, if we say that we have not sinned, one, we're deceiving ourselves, the other, we're making God out to be a deceiver. Don't do that. Instead, here's God's prescription for restoration. Confess. Confess. He says in James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You know what? I not only at times uh, will speak to the Lord about my sin, confessing that there, there are appropriate times for me to be in relationship with other believers and confess those sins. Past defeats do not preclude future victories. You know, there's a verse in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, if you go forward. I don't know if I, did that make it to the slide? No, that's okay. I cut it out anyway. Go to point number two. In this chapter, Joshua chapter 8, God demonstrates the completeness of his restoration because he leads the nation to victory where they once had been defeated. So point number two that we can apply to our lives. When I'm going to battle... Don't leave most of your army at home. That's a really simple statement. I just wrote it very simply. But here's the narrative of the story, the historical narrative. When Joshua was going to go to the city of Ai, he sent some spies up to the city to look at it. And they're confident, and they are coming off that victory at Jericho, and they don't know about that hidden sin. So they come back to Joshua, and they say, Joshua, don't make everybody go up to Ai. It's a small city. It's, it's all uphill to get there. Don't make the whole nation hike that way. Just send a few of us, Joshua. We'll take care of it for you. That was man's counsel. Don't take all of your resources to this battle. Just send some because we've got it handled. After that sin was confessed and they were restored, God has a different perspective. 
God's counsel to Joshua in those first verses that we read following their restoration was different. He says, you take all the people of war with you. You know, it makes me think in our lives when we're wrestling with sin, how often do we leave God's resources at home, so to speak, in the closet, unused, untapped. And you think, why would I as a believer leave God's resources for me to battle sin? Why would I leave them at home in the closet? Why? Why would I do that? And the answer is, is because I believe my sin looks small just like the city of Ai looked to the Israelites. So I would say this, when combating sin, use all of your resources. Am I praying about that area of weakness in my life that I'm wrestling with? Am I praying? Am I laying out before God and saying, Lord, I'm tempted in this area or I've fallen in this area. I'm, I'm dealing with this aspect and I want you to help me. I need you I need to be dependent on you. Am I in with a fellowship of believers where I'm accountable, where, where God is, is able to speak into my life and I'm able to be honest and let my guard down? Am I in that fellowship? Am I in the Word of God? Am I using the Word of God? Am I locking it away in my mind that it's a resource for me when I'm battling against sin? And then with all of those resources, I still have to act on it. I still have to act on those beliefs and on those promises. Past defeats do not prevent future victories. Joshua chapter 8 teaches us that when I'm going to go to battle, God's counsel is don't leave your army at home. Use all your resources. And then third point I would say from Joshua chapter 8 is this, simple obedience to simple truth. And let me explain what I mean when I say that. Jodell and I were privileged. 28 years we've been... um, there at Pine Baptist. Before that, I, I owned a dairy. I ran cattle with my dad back in the day when I was young. And, and uh, you know, God, God called us into this ministry, and we, in a sense, sort of, we'd say, backed into it. Uh, that's how slowly we moved, and here we are 20 years. But God has blessed us to be able to have the strength and wisdom of some very godly men that have poured into our lives, that have helped train us and prepare us one such man was a missionary who worked in the field of Brazil and then spent years and years teaching in a Bible college. We would, were able to go to his house once a week for about three years there. There were a few breaks, but we were pretty consistent through it. Three years, and he taught us Old New Testament. And this was a statement he used to make to us. He'd say, much of the Christian life is resolved by this. Simply do what God says. Simple obedience to simple truth. Well, how does that fit in in Joshua 8? How does that fit? Well, God gives victory when his people acknowledge their dependence on him, when they trust him, when they obey his word. So Joshua, you want to notice what happens in Joshua 8 as Joshua approaches Ai to take it? I want you to notice in the verses that we read throughout the chapter that he pays very close attention to the details the Lord gave him about how to strategize, how to battle, what to do with the men. In verse 2, the Lord tells Joshua, you're going to do all to Ai and his king as you did to Jericho and its king. Now look at over at the very end of the chapter, look at verses 28 and 29. There, after they take the city and they win, Joshua burned Ai, made it a heap forever, a desolation until this day, just like Jericho. He hanged the king of Ai on the tree until evening, verse 29 says. At sunset, Joshua gave the command. They took 
his body down from the tree. They threw it at the entrance of the gate and they raised over it a great heap of stones that stands to this day. Joshua is not only paying attention to every detail God commanded him to do to, to, to have victory over Ai, he's also paying attention to the details of the law. Deuteronomy 21, 22 says, If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, he is put to death, you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him the same day Joshua obeys that scripture. Simple obedience, simple truth. God also told Joshua in chapter 8 that people could only take as its spoil, uh, from Ai its spoil, and its cattle as plunder in verse 2. And if you look at verse 27, here it says, Israel took only the cattle and the spoil of that city as plunder for themselves, according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. Joshua is now paying very close attention to God's word, to his commandments. I need to obey God. That's how I stay dependent. That's how I acknowledge my dependence on God. I simply do what God says. God, Joshua is doing what God told him to do in chapter 1, verse 7. Be careful, God told Joshua, as they were going to enter the promised land, to do according to all of the law. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Meditate on it day and night, and you may be careful to continue to be faithful to know and heed his word. God, Joshua is now very sensitive to that. And in some ways, you could say Joshua and Israel learned through this, this sin issue, through this defeat, you know what? God means what he says. We learn that too in our individual lives. Guess what? Sometimes we fall, we fail. God means what he says. We'll pay those consequences. God restores us fully to relationship with himself when we confess that sin. And so I just put it this way. God makes, uses victory to make us strong. God uses victory to make us strong in our faith, but he uses our failures to make us wise. And that's not an encouragement to sin. I'm not saying that at all, but it's acknowledging that when we sin and follow God's restorative process, God will, will use that in our lives to make us wiser. And Israel is now acting wisely. They now know that they could not conquer the land apart from God. They knew that there is a possibility of becoming overconfident, of, of forsaking that dependence on God. All of that was very real to them, and now they're acting wisely and they're obeying God. So God took away the stain of sin on the nation of Israel. They learned that they needed to obey this simple truth to claim the ground that God had promised them. And then note this, Joshua chapter 8. Israel wins the battle. That's not an insignificant statement. Israel wins the battle. God takes them to ground where they had been defeated. And there he grants them victory. God will take ground that you have been defeated on in sin. And he will restore you fully and he can lead you to victory on that same ground. That's not an insignificant thing. Not at all. And then I want to take you to the very close of the chapter, verses 30 through 35. Point number four. Declare your dependence on God. Do it loudly. Do it often. And here's what I mean by that. Joshua chapter 8, there beginning in verse 30. They've won the battle. Ai is conquered. 
they've, they've followed the commandment of the Lord, then Joshua packs up the nation. He heads, he heads out to a place, Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim, two mounts there, a valley in between, and he goes to that point and he builds this altar. He builds this altar. Look at verses 30 through 35 with me. Let me find my place here. Then Joshua, it says, built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no man had wielded an iron tool. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, and they sacrificed peace offerings. So you get what he's saying there? This is something God said to do through Moses before Joshua ever went into the land. So Joshua, again, very acutely sensitive what's the law say what am i to be doing i'm going to obey god i i'm restored now and i want to stay dependent on god here i go well i need to go to this place i'm going to do exactly what god said in the law to do so verse 32 he says he wrote there on the stones a copy of the law of moses which he had written in the presence of the sons of israel and all israel with their elders and officers and their judges they were standing on both sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as the native. Half of them stood in front of Mount Gerizim. Half of them stood in front of Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at first to bless the people of Israel. Then afterward, it says, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, and according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded which Joshua did not read before the assembly with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living there amongst them. You envision this entire nation of people and they go up this draw and they station half of the nation of Israel on one side of the draw on Mount Ebal, one half of this nation on Mount Gerizim, and they actually recited the blessings and the cursings in opposite. One would recite a blessing, one would recite a curse, back and forth. It's a stadium. It's a stadium. And it was loud. And God had them do that. It's interesting that I read this. I would not have thought of this myself, but you know, commentators, men more studied than I, they said, you know, this was not an uncommon thing that a nation would do as a public declaration of who they were following. I thought, oh, really? Here they would come into this land full of hostile people who don't want them there. They're there because they believe God's promises. They're going to act on their faith. They're dependent upon God. And when God restores them, you know what they do? They go out and they, it's like plastering a billboard along the road. I depend on God fully. Sean Thatcher. It's like a public declaration. This is my dependence on God. This is who I'm following. And I think for us today, we need, to, we need to repeat and repeat and repeat that dependence on God. I heard it in David's testimony. I, I have to be reminded and I have to remind myself, look it, I can't do this thing called life without Jesus. I can't accomplish what God would command me to do without Jesus. I'm so dependent on Jesus. So how about I finish this with you this morning? How do I finish this? Where's the hope in Joshua 8? I'd say this, first of all, sin damaged, but it did not destroy Israel. Sin damaged, but did not dis destroy Israel. What a, what a great thing. I know, that, I know that sin can damage my life, but you know what? 
I belong to Jesus Christ. He doesn't change. That process of restoration, God completely restored the relationship. We don't read about Israel being second-class citizens now. We don't say, hear God saying, oh, well, you know what? We're going to let you have this much of the country, but not that. Nope, God restores them fully. That's how thorough God is. That song that we sang there, there just before we started, my sins are many, what do we sing? God's mercy is more. What a great song. I had to lean over and ask Jodell, have you heard this song before? We've not heard this song. But what a great song. What a great compliment to the idea that I want to convey to you. That when God restores us from our, our sin, He doesn't restore us partially, He restores us completely. And then I want to make this statement again. Israel won the battle. You know what? I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what all you're dealing with, but but I know that some of you may be in that position where you're defeated by sin. And you may be asking yourself, Lord God, am I ever going to get over this? Am I ever going to achieve victory over this, this thing that is rest, I'm wrestling with in my life? Israel won. God can lead you to victory as well. God can lead you to victory as well. So for the believer today, I would say this. One, we need to acknowledge our dependence on God. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Uh, that phrase has come to mean a lot more to me in this last year. Jesus plus nothing. Secondly, confess sin. How many of us are, 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 are walking crippled in our relationship with God because we think of our sin as small and not needing to be dealt with? When God's saying, listen, I have so much more I want to do in your life, but we've got to deal with this. We, we've got to get this squared away. Don't be shy. The Lord God waits to restore you. Confess your sin and then trust God. We're trusting God. Just as Israel stood in that hostile country with no way to retreat, we trust God to turn those past failures into future victories and we loudly declare our dependence upon Him. And then I'll leave you with this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, that chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about the resurrection, about the results of the resurrection, about the absence of power, the power of death in our lives. But he makes this statement at the end of the chapter, which I just want to draw your attention to. And I want to pull it, I want to pull it, and I just want to apply it in this situation. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It sums up everything I think so well that, that I would want to share with you from Joshua chapter 8. Jesus plus nothing. Acknowledging my dependence on God and achieving victory where I have been defeated in the past all through the Lord Jesus Christ and no one else. Why don't you close with me if you would in the word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you for the opportunity to open the word of God here with these people today to bless be blessed by the Word of God and supernatural power. And I just, I know, Lord God, that you want to work in us. And sometimes part of that work is just clearing up that, that past. Those, those acts that, uh, Lord God, are an offense to you, that are that Jesus died to pay the penalty for. And Lord God, we need to be restored. So, Lord God, would you restore us today?
Lord, give us the strength to continue the battle, trusting that our victory is well in hand in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would just um, help us to apply the principles of dependency that Jesus shared on the last night of his life. That we would acknowledge that without you, we cannot accomplish that which you have tasked us with in our lifetime. But with you, we are unbeatable. Father, give us that confidence, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Closing in benediction, I'm going to read out of Revelation chapter 1, um, verses 5 through 6. Um, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.